Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Uh, Last week, we began a series on baptisms called I Have Decided. And what we did was we began looking at the New Testament model for baptisms. We talked about why um, here at, at CCC we do baptisms by immersion. Uh, just going back to the New Testament examples and the Greek language, which baptism means submersion or to, to uh, immerse. Uh, it's actually the same word that you would talk about with a sunken ship that has been fully submerged in the water. And uh, if you have any questions about that, why we do it, the way we do it, uh, we have a podcast, and you can look at last week's message on Facebook. Uh, we looked at how water baptism was a command of Jesus Christ. So water baptism does not determine your salvation, but it is an act of obedience. And if you go back to the New Testament, it followed pretty much every decision for Christ was immediately they were baptized. So uh, we looked at what baptism means. It's a public declaration of a personal decision. Uh, It's our decision publicly that we identify ourselves with Christ as believers and followers of Christ. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward transformation. We looked at the book of Romans chapter 6 when we uh, talked about that. And finally, it's a physical image of a spiritual reality. Uh, So when they talked to Paul, they said, hey, get baptized and let your sins be washed away. The baptism wasn't the washing away of his sins, but it was symbolic of that. So we invite you to do that again. But I said last week... We're approaching this series in such a way that uh, I want it to speak to you whether you've been baptized or not. So if you haven't been baptized, I want you to see that Jesus didn't do anything uh, for ritual's sake, just to keep the ritual going. Jesus did things because there was power in them. Uh, So when we got to the New Testament, he kind of wiped out a lot of tradition. But when it came to baptism, he actually commanded it because it wasn't simply a ritual uh, baptism. There is power in that decision. And then if you have been baptized, we're asking the question, am I living uh, the realities that that symbolizes? Am I living the baptized life? And the most common understanding of that comes out of the book of Romans, that when we go down in the water, we die to sin, we die to our old self, and when we are raised out of the water, we are raised to new life in Christ. And that's actually what I say uh, as I'm baptizing is uh, dead to sin and alive in Christ. And and that's just kind of uh, how we baptize. But today we're going to talk about baptism from a a little bit of a different angle. Uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to take kind of the long way to get there. How many of you like the scenic route? Okay, today is the scenic route to get there because we're actually going to begin by talking about clothing. Uh, Who likes clothing? Okay, well, you're going to be disappointed. But we are talking about uh, clothing. Uh, I'm convinced that uh, pretty much every generation looks back to their earlier lives and they look at what they were wearing and say, what was I thinking? So uh, whether for you that was bell bottoms or the the big hair days, I never struggled with the big hair days personally. Uh, When I was a kid, actually, for some reason it was the, the fad that Uh, You would buy a new pair of blue jeans, baggy blue jeans, and immediately when you get home, you take scissors and you slice up the seams on them. For some reason, you destroy them. I guess they cover your shoes better for some reason. I don't know. But when I was in college, the hipster look was just kind of becoming the, the fad. I never got into the hipster look. If you're not familiar with it, what you do is you wear clothing that's two sizes too small, 
and you get the thickest set of glasses you can find. Doesn't matter if you don't wear glasses, you just find the thickest set of glasses you can find. Uh, I remember in college, there was this guy in my class, and uh, you ever see somebody just try a little too hard? Uh, his, his glasses were like as thick as a Bible. They were just so huge, and I would just look at him, and I would, I would kind of get annoyed and say, this guy is trying way too hard. And then one day he stood up and he said, uh, can you guys be in prayer for me? I go in for eye surgery tomorrow. I'm, I'm legally blind, and that's why I wear the glasses like this. And then I felt kind of like a jerk. But, uh, <laughs> you know, to us, clothing is nothing more than a fashion statement. But in Jewish culture, uh, uh, clothing actually had uh, great significance, great importance. In fact, you could identify somebody based on their clothing. So... In the priesthood, they had to dress a certain way. In the Levitical uh, priesthood, it was another way. Uh, Then the high priest dressed in a certain way. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they dressed in a certain way. If someone was in mourning, they would dress in sackcloth sackcloth and ashes. So uh, it was very important how you clothed yourself in Jewish culture. Now this can be traced back to to the book of Genesis with the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they recognized their nakedness, the Bible says, and they became ashamed, and what did they do? They made clothing to cover their nakedness. It's actually, it's really interesting because their response to their sin was clothing, and their response to their brokenness was clothing, and their response to their shame was clothing. Now, on a deeper level, what they were covering up was the results of their sin. Because the Bible says that the results of their sin in that moment was they became aware of their nakedness. So what happens is they seek to cover up the results of their sin. We're supposed to recognize this with Adam and Eve. When they sewed the fig leaves together, they were doing everything they could to cover up the results of sin. And that's why it's so interesting that God responds by saying what you've done is not sufficient. And God actually kills an animal, uh, sacrifices innocent blood to cover the results of their sin. Uh, Immediately in the book of Genesis, God is saying, sin cannot be atoned for based on human action. It requires a divine response. Now, here's what blows me away, away about this. Uh, when we look at this, uh, this imagery in the book of Genesis, if it were written after Jesus gave his life on the cross, if it were written after his death and resurrection, if it were written after he sacrificed his, his, own, you know, his blood for our sins, I would look at that and I would say, that is incredible imagery there, just connecting what's taking place in the garden to Jesus Christ. But when you consider that this was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth, that it was pointing forward to Jesus and not backward to Jesus, can I tell you, I do not have the faith that it requires to not follow Jesus. There is too much pointing to Jesus. We have a great faith, but it is not a blind faith. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth, God is creating this imagery that says, you cannot cover your own sins. Actually, there will be a sacrifice of innocent blood provided by God that will cover your sins, the results of your sins. Do you see that? Church, that is incredible. That, that, there is no coincidence in that. 
But here's what I want you to consider. What is the only difference in their clothing that determines whether God accepted it or not? The only difference is who provided the clothing? Who provided the covering? When man provided their own covering, it wasn't sufficient to cover the sin. But when God provided the covering, it was sufficient. Now, the New Testament is full of examples where this imagery of clothing is used to uh, convey a spiritual message. Sometimes it's in the form of instruction, telling us how we should clothe ourselves. Other times, it's in the form of just conveying a spiritual truth, saying that you are clothed this way or you have been clothed this way. I want to repeat that because it's important. Sometimes in the New Testament, it talks about spiritual clothing in the form of an instruction. Other times, it talks about it in the form of this is already a present truth in your life. For instance, in Luke 24, if you want to just throw that on the screen, uh, Jesus tells the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit, and he says to them, uh, wait until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, the word used there for clothed is the same word that you would use when you get dressed this morning. In fact, I'm going to use Rob here uh, just for for a quick um, uh, picture for you. The word that is used, uh, you can go ahead and come up, is actually uh, a word that just means to sink into your clothing. It's almost as if somebody is putting the clothing over top of you. So you can go and sit down. Everybody clap at Rob. That was incredible, Rob. But there is an ease about putting this clothing on. And when Jesus said here, wait until you have been clothed with the Holy Spirit, There's really nothing on your part. He doesn't say, go clothe yourself with the Holy Spirit with power. He just says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, this will be a spiritual reality about you. You will be clothed with power from on high. He says the same thing in 1 Corinthians, if you want to put that on the screen, talking about our resurrected bodies. He says, uh, the perishable will be clothed with imperishable, that same word again, just as if it's being draped over your shoulders, that uh, when we receive our new bodies in eternity, uh, it will be clothed with immortality. But for a few minutes this morning, uh, I want to look at the occasions where it is an instruction and not a present reality. Uh, One of those would be in Ephesians chapter 6. I won't go too much into this, but where Paul writes, put on the full armor of God. That word for put on is the same word for clothe yourself with the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And he talks about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And when he talks about these, he's talking about just kind of sinking into this armor and letting it be draped upon your shoulders. So there's not a lot of work on your part other than just letting yourself kind of fall into that armor that is there for you. But there are two occasions where Paul instructs us to clothe ourselves in a way that is a response to sin. Uh, A response, when I talk about sin, I'm talking about sin in in practice, uh, sin in the way of our behavior. There are two occasions where Paul talks about responding in a way of clothing ourselves when we're tempted with sin. That's what I want to look at for a moment. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes this. It says, But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. That's the sin I'm talking about that Paul is saying. Let's avoid these things. 
He says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on, that's that same word, have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Uh, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or uh, Scythian, uh, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Then he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here it is again, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And if you want to leave that on for just a minute, I just want to point something out. Uh, he leads into this by stating a fact of who they are. You are God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. That reality is not contingent upon your action. That is just who you are. Maybe you had a really bad week this week. You are still called. You are still chosen. You are still holy if you are in Jesus Christ. You are still dearly loved. But he says, what I want you to do when you are tempted to engage in these things that we talked about earlier, the malice and the anger, is I want you to clothe yourselves. Slip into this, this garment of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And in verse 14, he says, something ties it together. He says, over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds everything else together in perfect unity. Now, there's one other occasion where Paul is referencing uh, our battle with, with our sinful nature. And he says, you're to clothe yourselves in a certain way. In Romans chapter 13, he says, the night is nearly over. This is verse 12. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on, there's that word again, to clothe yourself, the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Then he says this, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So again, it's this imagery of a coat almost being placed over your shoulders and you're just supposed to sink into it because it's, it's really your reality anyway. Uh, once you are a follower of Christ, this is who you are. But I want you to see that when it comes to uh, our battle against sin, he says to put on Christ as an instruction. Everybody say instruction. Uh, I've I found with our kids, uh, and you're probably familiar, when, when you have little kids, you get proud of them for like the silliest things. Uh, the other day, Haley, who's two, uh, who doesn't normally talk in real big sentences, uh, she heard a woodpecker and she just looked up and said, did you hear the woodpecker, daddy? And I said, that was a complete six-word sentence. That was so amazing. And I think I was telling Emily about it, and she said, oh, you should have seen her a few days ago. She dressed herself. I was like, wow, <laughs> that's our girl, you know. Now, if I came here this morning and, and Teresa said to me, 
Kelly dressed himself today, then I would be like, okay, way to go, Kelly. Like, I, I wouldn't be that impressed because I kind of expect it when you reach a certain maturity, when you, when you reach a certain age. It's kind of like that in our faith. When you first begin to put on Christ, to wear Christ, to clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, and that really hard one, humility, uh, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs in that. It's going to be like our two-year-old trying to get dressed by herself. And, and there are going to be a lot of, uh, I think it was the next day she came to me and she was like, Daddy, I need help getting dressed. So it's not like she just figured it out. And it's going to be like that in your faith. There are times where it will be challenging for you to spiritually and mentally put on Christ, as the Bible says, uh, when you're facing temptation uh, to do something wrong. Now, I told you we were going to take a bit of a scenic route. We've, we've arrived at our destination of sorts, um, so, so good job with that. When Paul was writing to the Galatian church, again he begins talking about clothing ourselves with Christ. But when he's talking to the Galatian church, he does it actually in a very different way because now he doesn't do it as an instruction. He actually talks about it in a way that this is actually already your reality. So I want to show you that. Uh, it's in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized, all of you who are baptized into Christ, right here, past tense, have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, why is it past tense all of a sudden? Why is it in the book of Romans that he is instructing us, clothe yourselves with Christ, but now when he's writing to the Galatian church, he says, you have been clothed with Christ. It's past tense. Um, it's because the contexts are actually completely different. Because we, we talked about in the book of Romans, the context of you clothe yourselves with Christ is when you are battling temptation and sin and you're trying to kind of keep your head uh, on the straight and narrow. But in the book of Galatians, it's not about battling sin. Actually, if you back it up to verses 21 and 24, I don't have it on the screen, but what you find is this is in the context of righteousness in the context of justification by faith. And what uh, Paul is writing to the people, uh, remember your righteousness is uh, a legal term that's talking about you have right standing before God. Justification means every accusation has been wiped off your, your slate. Uh, you are declared legally and judicially innocent. And what Paul says in Galatians is when it comes to your justification by faith, when it comes to your righteousness in the sight of God, if you are in Christ, then you have been clothed with Christ. So when it comes to your justification in Christ, it's no longer a daily action that you have to take to come under the innocence, the justification of Christ. What Paul is saying is, when it's talking about righteousness by faith, Justification and salvation by faith, that's past tense. You have been justified. You have been clothed with Christ. 
That song that Renee did today, it's one of my favorite lines in any song when it says, Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless I stand before the throne. When Paul is writing to the church uh, in Galatia, that's the message that he is trying to get across here, is that you are dressed in Christ. You are clothed in Christ. So when you stand before the throne, you are legally innocent because it's been placed on him already. So when it comes to you battling sin or temptation, whatever it may be, you have to sometimes make that decision. I am going to put on Christ. I'm going to walk according to the Spirit, be spiritually minded as the Bible says. But when it comes to your salvation, you, if you have placed your faith in Christ, have been clothed with Christ. Do you see the difference there? Renee, if you could go ahead and uh, come up. Baptism. Uh, do you want to put that passage back on the screen for me? All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism is symbolic to us that this has taken place in our lives. Baptism, uh, when we go down in the water and we come up drenched, wearing that water, wearing that water to us as a a symbol, it's coming up out of the water, wearing the righteousness of Christ. Don't worry about it, Cheyenne. You're good. But what's so amazing here is it's actually a fulfillment of what took place in the Garden of Eden. Because what took place in the garden was when God clothed them, it was acceptable. When God clothed them, God uh, accounted for their sin, right? God, God gave them the clothes to wear. And now we get to the New Testament and we have this image of being clothed by God. And it's something that we participate in in baptism. It's symbolic of just accepting that justification that is being draped over your shoulders. That is exciting, church. That's good news. Somebody smile back at me because it's good news. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Because he took our sin on the cross, the Bible says we become the righteousness of God. That is like the greatest trade in the history of trades. I give God all of my nasty, filthy sin, and he gives me the righteousness of God in Christ uh, as if it is a coat just being draped on my shoulders, and he's just saying, slip right into it. Can you guys stand with me this morning? Uh, maybe for you, as Renee leads us, maybe, maybe it's a matter of you need to put on Christ to begin battling some areas in your life where you've given in. But maybe for many of you, it's you need to recognize that you have been clothed with Christ. And what you need to lay down this morning 
is the shame and the condemnation that you carry around with you everywhere you go. Because the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means the sentence has been removed from you because it was paid for in Christ Jesus. Come on, church. Somebody get excited that your sentence has been paid in full. As Renee leads us, allow the Spirit to search you. God, do I need to lay shame at the altar? condemnation at the altar, the things that you took off of my plate and I tried to take back up, can I give them back to you this morning and walk out those doors a free man or a free woman because the Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. Are you walking in freedom, not freedom to sin? If that's you, you need to put on Christ when you leave this place but freedom from the shame that's been attached to your past. Because if that's you, you need to recognize that you are clothed with Christ. Father, I pray this morning that there will be a spirit of freedom in this place, that we lay down our shame before you, our condemnation before you, and we take up the righteousness that you have given us. I pray uh, just in this time, Lord, that we begin to slip into the garments, Lord, that you have offered us, the garments of righteousness before you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.